Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm doing good. I want to. Can I show you something? Please. Oh my gosh. Yes, you did it. I did it. I have showing me cheesecake. (laughs) I have a confession to make. Today is we're recording on Super Bowl Sunday. And that's right. It's kind of a long story. I guess I should not really get into it. But whatever. I'm going to get into it. You know, Um, (laughs) get into it. So I have been alone with the kids for, you know, quite a few days, more than four, four, probably four, just whatever. It has broke me. I have a four-year-old and he is the worst right now. It's just so (sighs) intense. It's like, it's like being on high alert all the time. All of my synapses and my like, I feel like my nerves are shredded right now. Anyways. Oh man. Adam, my husband's coming back into town and we were supposed to go in to a friend's that I adore. They're the one most wonderful people. I love them so much. And we used to go to their house every uh, Super Bowl since we moved to L.A., but um, and, you know, this is the first year where everybody feels good and we're doing it. I just was like, I'm not going. I'm going to be alone and you're going to take yes. the kids. And he he had the audacity to ask me if I was sure. Oh, my gosh. You're like, yeah, I'm sure, pal. That's I'm, why I mentioned I'm pretty it. sure. Like I sent like a nice text about this is what's going to happen. Me like making boundaries. Good, Vanya. Yeah. Yeah. And then just on the phone later on that night being like, oh, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm fucking goddamn motherfucking sure. <laughs> and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. That's I, I apologize to our listeners. That's coming in very hot early in the podcast. But also sometimes it's like read the room. Yeah. Read the room. I like, just you. You're <sighs> Vanya. When do you ever not go to a party? Party. You clearly need Thank some you, time. Evren. Thank you. Because I love a party. I'm a social person. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yes. Yeah, so and then he was like, OK. Oh, God. OK. So he comes home. He's like, I can't wait to get home. I know. <laughs> he takes seven hours to get home. I mean, it's like a whole journey. Turns around, takes the kids out. I'm like, great. And I'm trying to like, honestly, just clean for the next couple hours because that's what I'm going to do with my free time. And then I was like, you know what? No, Avrin. I was like, no, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go 
to the mall. That's how the journey started. And then anyways, I was like, there's a cheesecake factory right there. I'm going to sit at this cheesecake factory's bar, and which I yeah. did. And I had a dinner. I had a meal there. And what she's looking at right now, guys, is a to-go cheese, uh, original classic uh, cheesecake with um, strawberries. Strawberries. And it looks delicious. And I'm just going to stare at it because I, I wanted you to see it. So I brought it to I the love table. it. I also <laughs> love that you were like, I need a me day. And that... that <laughs> resulted in you having like a solo date at the Cheesecake Factory in the mall. It felt because amazing. That's that's just like it's so perfect. It's it's, it's a visual that makes me it brings me just such joy. <laughs> I had so much fun by myself, and I mean, obviously, I like would rather be with people, but truthfully, I just need it. Sometimes I, here, it's good. To it be is alone. Oh, so good. And guess what? They had the <laughs> so stupid. They had the Super Bowl on, but because they're so corporate, they refused to t turn off the like, <laughs> you know, elevator music that's playing. Oh my gosh! So no, no sound. No for the Super sound Bowl? for the entire thing. But I will say, guys, here's a spoiler. Y'all know that Dr. Dre plays a goddamn piano. I was like, what? Oh my god! It was pretty cool. I thought <gasps> I thought the halftime show was super fun. Oh, I can't wait to actually. I love listen I love to Mary it. J. Blige and oh. um. It was just, you know, it was just fun to like see Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre together totally. doing like all these California, like Southern California songs. And I love it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the crap out of it. When I used, you know, when I used to work in my, um, in my retail days, in my luxury fashion retail days, I saw Mary J. Blige on multiple occasions. I cannot believe she's not 80 years old right now, to be honest with you, because this is like, oh my gosh, back in the so day cool. when I first moved to New York, that's like 2004. And she, anyway, she come in, she would come in, she was like besties with the designer and both so of them fun. would come in after brunch and they had, they had like tons of champagne and whatever and whatever else and just be <laughs> like kookadookaloo around the store. And I was always like, Jesus Christ, Mary J. Blythe is in our store. So anyway, she looked That's amazing. amazing. That's amazing. Like, I can't I believe that. her. I, she was rocking that. I'm like, how many drugs is she on right now to be? I'm just kidding. I'm sure she eats a very good diet and is works out and all works the time and lot. that's why she's yep. very fit and doing a great job but my you know and looks exactly the same from 20 years ago i know i'm like ugh, who can get the work done like that i don't know man how much you gotta pay because most people get like all that work done they look crazy okay anyways i'm so sorry to di derail 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 our to derail <laughs> i am sorry to it's my affected british accent i'm sorry to derail uh, so guys i am excited to be here I had a yes, you Chardonnay. Are. Okay, I had a Chardonnay. It's maybe the first time I'm getting I'm, it. I'm drinking uh, a drink because I'm watching, I was watching the Super Bowl. I mean, I've had this much of it. What is but it? I was like, I think it's just a whiskey Coke. Oh, I, I love whiskey my, Coke. I know. I was just thinking to myself, like, it's after six and I've been watching a football game all day. Not, you know, I wasn't imbibing earlier because I'm also alone. And I was like, it feels weird to be like, let me just eat so much dip <laughs> and like drink by myself. So I was mostly doing research for today's episode and then watching the halftime show. But I decided about like 20 minutes ago, I was doing a little food prep. And then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to make a cocktail yes. for our, our record-hurting session. I, I mean, also knew you were at the Cheesecake Factory having Chardonnay. Because so I was, like, I was I texting her. Level. I was like, I'm going to be a little late. Uh, Mom needed some mental um and I, I'm so home. happy that you did that. I think that that's I might, a perfect example of like really truly understanding what you need and and asking for it and then being like, no, you're giving it. Not even asking for it. Demanding it. Demanding it then, to a psychotic place. Like I was like, Jesus, my goddamn mother. Jesus, I need it. Yeah. 
sometimes we got to just say all the bad words. Yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you got to have a, a, a solo day. Um, me too. And if you're lucky, after we do our both of our things, I wrote, I'm sure it's really bad, I wrote a poem at the bar. The Amazing. Okay, that is 100% how we will end this episode. We'll see. We'll see. But okay, fine. Is you, it a haiku? You know, what? No. It's, you know I love a haiku. It, haiku, it was almost a haiku. No, it's not. It's whatever came out of my goddamn mind. Um, I love it. But guess- I love it. <laughs> All right, but I guess we should, should we start with our final yes. Megan Tom movie? Is You've Got, You've Got Mail. Wait, I can't do it like they do. <laughs> you've Got Mail. You've Got, anyways, it's You've Got Mail. And guys, oh, I have so many thoughts and feelings. I'm so excited about this. I'm excited that this is the last one in their trilogy. It is also written by Nora Ephron. It, of course, stars Tom Hanks. He plays Joe Fox. It stars Meg Ryan, which who plays Kathleen Kelly. Wait a minute. Is this? Oh, no, he's Sam. I was like, is he Joe in all three of these movies? But no, he was Sam in Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. He was. Yes, you're right. Sorry. It's, I did Joe, not mean Sam, Joe. Did you like that? Joe, Sam, Joe. Joe, yeah. Sam, Joe. That's his country music star name. Joe, <laughs> Sam, Joe. Hey, y'all. He sing you a song. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> You've got mail. Um, and then yeah. it also... <laughs> It also has Greg Kinnear, who play who plays Frank, which is Kathleen's boyfriend, and then we've got Parker Posey as Joe's girlfriend, and then an uncredited, as a uncredited as a very um, New York grocery store regi- register attendant, Sara Ramirez, or Che, yes. if you're watching, and just like that, I mean, I will post it because it's hilarious but I had I was watching and I took a video I was like oh my god Avrin is that Shay it is yes it is she's playing a huge like uh, Broadway star you know in New York I saw her in spam a lot she's amazing so so it's you know she made the leap I think to TV she did Grey's Anatomy yes yeah. And that kind of like started her TV career. Yeah. And now she's a very controversial character on the new newest chapter of Sex in the City. Great. Good for apparently. her. I apparently, love it. Apparently she's controversial. Yeah. Um, but That's I was, what I read. I, me too. I know. And if you listen to one of our favorite podcasts, um, it's called... Uh, well, I my, couldn't help but I wonder. I couldn't help but wonder. And the hosts are Elise and Mike, and they are the best. And if you ever want to go down that journey, they also covered. And just like that, so good. But they do talk a little bit about the um, controversy. Anyways, she's she has a bit part, and I just love it so much. She's in Zabar's in the mo- Zabar's is a grocery right. store she's that's like the only New York. Lady. Yeah, yeah. So and she is um, delightfully New York. Well, here's the moment. thing: when I moved to New York, you know, I came from Washington State, where everybody is pretty, pretty like overly nice it actually makes me a little uncomfortable I'm like why are you so nice? now it makes me uncomfortable it didn't used to make me uncomfortable I'm like why are people being so nice but you go to grocery stores in New York and no offense guys but they are not nice they do not give a they, shit they don't want to be there they don't want to be there and they would like you to k- just move along you know <laughs> So I appreciate, you know, they just got, they got better things to be doing. But yeah, it's true. I'm from the Midwest and I, I know all about people that are seemingly too nice. Even right? when it's genuine, you're just like, why is everybody smiling? I know. It's a balance. <laughs> it's like, anyways, if you ever go to New York and someone's rude to you at a cash register, just, it's not personal. Okay. So just, <clears throat> just take it that, you know, you're having a real authentic experience. Yeah, all right. True. Back to the movie. That is You've true, got though. mail. So here's what I'm going to do this time. Usually I like to do a little, um... I like to do the reviews first, but I decided I'm going to give you the rundown first because the reviews, you know, they will tell you more. So I I just want to start with that. So here's my rundown. This is like the play by play of 
Oh, actually, wait, Avrin. First, I wanted to, um, I wanted to play the. I wanted to play the trailer for you, because I think this oh, is a okay. fun. I think this is a fun thing to do. Hold on, I will edit the Coles <laughs> commercial out one side. Okay, can you hear that? Or a second. I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. What is going on with you? Is it infidelity if you're involved with someone on email? This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Have you had sex? Of course not. I don't even know it. I mean cyber sex. No. Well, no, don't do it. The minute you do, they lose all respect for you. In a city where everyone's looking for someone, Joe and Kathleen have discovered the best way to meet someone. <gasps> is to never meet at all. It's just email. It's really nothing. I don't know his name or what he does. Or where he lives exactly. What? He couldn't possibly be the rooftop killer. What they don't realize... Is they already have. Just Joe Fox, I'm in the book business. I am in the book business. What should I have said? A man who has made my professional life in misery. Tell me something, really. How do you sleep at night? Fight. Fight to the death. In life, they're at odds. She's beautiful, but she's a pill. Online, they're in love. Do you think we should meet? start before you get into it with saying that as many problems as I know we're going to talk about in this movie this is one of my favorites me too oh my god me too I love this rom-com I love I love it all I know there's so many things about it that if you break it down you're like creepy horrible terrible story agreed but Um, I'm with you but I love it I love it it was good on rewatch I'll be honest it was good on rewatch so so there you have I'm sorry I had a bite of my Cheesecake. It was really good. No, I love that Vanya was eating cheesecake through the whole trailer. (laughs) And I support it. You know, you got to do what you got to do. They're going to be home soon, guys. (laughs) She is having a personal day, and I like that we all get to share it with you. I'm maximizing my time at home. That's right. (laughs) So here's the rundown. Kathleen Kelly, as we remember, Meg Ryan, runs an adorable Upper West Side bookstore that has been a neighborhood staple for years. It's called A Shop Around the Corner. How cute. And it's mostly like... Isn't that the name of the movie that this is basically... Yeah, Like a remake of? The Shop Around the Corner? You are correct. It is... It's weirdly, I, I, it's kind of, this is a deep cut here, but it was originally like a Hungarian play from like 1930 and then became oh. a movie in like 1937 or whatever, 1940, A Shop Around the Corner. I, I didn't watch that, but I wonder, like, I guess it was just another store taking over. Another, I don't really know. But yes, 
So she had her little place called a shop around the corner, which is so adorable. And she had inherited it from her mom before her mom passed. But she had all these beautiful memories of her mom. Like she was there all the time. She was working. It was just like me right. when I was little. I was like in my mom's classroom cutting <laughs> things up because she was a teacher. I'm kidding. She didn't have me work that much, but I love doing it if she did. She, I was like, I can help at your school. Anyways, she, you know, her mom gave it to her. Yes. So Kaf- Kathleen lives with her boyfriend, Frank. That is Greg Kinnear, who is a pretentious, I say pretentious because he seems pretentious to me, a newspaper writer for The Observer. And they seem to be friends, but like no sexy sparks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, Meg is definitely not the most, you don't, when you, this is probably why she was so like, yes, let's put her in every movie is people aren't like, let's, we think of Meg Ryan as like dirty sex. No, people are always like, she's just so innocent and like. Adorable and pixie hair. Right, and you just want her to have her happy ending. Which I do too. But yes, obviously we don't want to like Greg Kinnear because then the story won't work. Exactly. So they have to have zero chemistry. They have zero chemistry, exactly. And as soon as he leaves for work, Greg Kinnear, sorry Frank, um, and the coast is clear and she like searches everywhere. You know, like some, I'm like, is she going to beat one down? I don't know what you want to call it. But like, I was like, is she going to masturbate? No. She hops onto AOL and it's like, that's my um, impression mm-hmm. of like dial up, dial, dial up. up. I loved it. And all of a sudden, the sound with the sound of "You've got mail." The story begins. Kathleen is having an emotional affair with a man that she met in a chat room. They don't know each other's names, but they know each other's innermost thoughts, and they like mm-hmm. it. They like connect. And they know? like it. Yeah, <laughs> she's got a real connection with this guy from a chat room. On the end, other end of the internet is Joe Fox, Tom Hanks, also known as Screen Handle NY152. He is also in a re- relationship with another person um, played by Parker Posey, who plays like a success-driven editor. She's like, let's make, let's, I'm hardcore. Mm. She's hilarious. <laughs> she's She is so funny. I actually was, didn't remember her in the movie, and she's very funny. And I kind of was like, I hope Greg Kinnear and her end up in the mo- together, but... We don't get into that in this movie. So he's not really into her, but because he's seen his rich father and grandfather go through women like the books of the Twilight series. Do you like that? I just made a reference like that. Yes. Cause it's a, it's all about, it's all about books. Okay. Anyways, cause you read those books fast. Cause it's like at their page turners. Anyways, his grandma and his dad or grandpa and his dad go through women just like hotcakes. And this, for this reason, I don't think Joe knows what a relationship is is and what it means to be a partner to the love of your life so his online relationship with shop girl which is meg ryan is the start of understanding this magic which we talked about magic last episode but you know what mm-hmm. i mean so the reason his dad and granddad are so goddamn rich and is because they own a it's like a barnes and nobles type mega discount bookstore called fox Bo- fox fox books. books i wrote fox booze Fox books. Um, with, with that, by the way, puts little local owned bookstores out of business, which I mean, dicks. Come on, guys. Let's not do that. After a fun day with his aunt and his brother, we're talking about um, Joe here. By the way, his aunt and his brother, both children from his dad and grandpa's offspring, he ends up in, I know, it's so crazy. You know, they're just, they keep getting younger It is really funny, though. It's like his aunt and his brother are like 10 and 7. <laughs> It's great. And or the, something. The, yeah, the grandpa's like in his 80s. I'm like, I don't judge it, but I'm also like, huh. Okay. Oh, I judge it. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there with their dads being like 70 when they were born. 
I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm sure, but get that D, get that rich D, girls. Anyways, I guess so I don't know. So, so after a fun day with his brother and aunt, they end up in Kathleen Kelly's shop, a shop around the corner, and they're she's doing story time, which is so exciting, you know, and she's so charming, and everyone in the store falls in love with her, and they're great. And after the story's done, like we've all the people who work for her are so knowledgeable about the books and like. It's they just care. A, yeah, they care. Yeah. It's just a good spot, right? And <clears throat> at this point, Joe avoids saying his name. He refuses to say it at all. And it's only to be re- revealed days later at a benefit when Joe's true identity is shown. She accuses him at this benefit where it's like, you know, the partners are there and everybody's like, hubbub, hubbub, hubbub. But so Kathleen Kelly accuses Joe of spying on her and getting like intel from her store and then he basically belittles her store and talks shit about her. It's just mean. It's pure yeah. meanness. Cut to when Shopgirl and NY152 finally decide to meet. Joe discovers he's been mailing, emailing. He's been emailing Kathleen Kelly. So because he go, she's sitting there first. It's a whole thing. She's like, I'm going to have a book with a rose in the book. And it's going to be so romantic. It's going to be amazing. You're going to know who I am. And you're going to come in. And it's going to be amazing. And he peeks in. And it's Kathleen Kelly, and he's like, oh, mother, you know. Effer. Yeah. yeah. So he leaves, and he basically waits for the last minute and shows up and is like, hey, it looks like somebody stood you up. Mm-hmm. Kind of in it. Oh, my God. So then he, he stands her up, and then he makes her feel bad about it. Yeah. I mean, and she just feels like shit. She's like, God damn it. She's like, am I cheating? I don't know. Ugh. This is the worst. Then, as the megastore puts Kathleen's bookstore out of business, Joe he keeps trying to connect with her on the regular. It's a little weird. She's She resists at first, but then she kind of gives in t- to a pseudo-friendship with him. You know, they they connect, and he, he's he's being kind, and I'm not sure how she does it, because I'd be just, I'd pretty much be like, go F yourself, you know, a hundred times, but mm-hmm. they they build a friendship. And in the meantime, she's still talking to um, NY152, and he's, she's kind of talking to Joe about this guy. One thing leads to another. And then Shop Girl and NY152 finally decide to meet again, even though he had stood her up the first time. But right before that morning, Joe tells Kathleen how he feels about her. She doesn't say much. She's just like, oh, God. And when, when she's at the place where her unknown online love are supposed to meet, it's in Central Park. Joe comes bounding in with his damn dog and Kathleen hugs him and says the line, I I wanted it to be you so badly. That's how, that's my rundown. Amazing rundown. Um, I think a few things were left out. Like obviously they both end their other relationships. Oh yes, yes, that's Um, true. And then don't, don't the other two like have a weird flirty like interview together? So no, it's a different character who has the interview. So, so um, it's actually, so Frank, uh, Greg Kinnear, Kinnear's character, writes a story to sort of like try to save a shop around the corner. And he's on like the local NY1, the woman who does okay, the art. So it's like the, the anchor. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and then Parker Posey has a great scene in an elevator. Oh, they get, yes. Okay, thank you. That's another good scene. And I think I blocked it out because I, I'm terrified of elevators. This is why yeah, they got, that's fair. They, this is why they broke up. But Joe, Parker Posey's character, a woman with a dog, and the 
stupid elevator guy who's like terrified once the elevator when the elevator stops he pushes all the buttons i mean it's like crazy and they're stuck in there forever like don't you work the elevator elevator guy he should know he should know he should know how to use the elevator and like what to do but joe gets on thing is like hello help me eventually they get out and with this life-changing moment joe's like yeah she's a dick i don't want to be with her anymore it's good i'm sorry i didn't mean to miss that one but you're right that's okay i just had that sticks out to me because i feel like it was one of those moments that not only is the catalyst for their breakup, but she's like hilariously dry and yeah, awful. Yeah, she's like, what? They're like pondering life. <laughs> she's just like, yeah. I need to smoke a cigarette Yeah, or after something before the, I die. The elevator guy's like, after this, I'm going to go ask Diane for marriage. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And everybody's like, this is what I'm going to do when, when I get out of here. I'm going to do this. And she's like, when I get out of here, I'm going to... Uh, I don't know. I can't remember, but it's dumb. <laughs> so now here's now I decided, OK, now we'll do the reviews because there was a little giveaways. I only chose two. We've got Robert Ebert, who gave it three stars. Robert okay. Ebert, lo- he likes a rom-com and he says he likes these two. I know. I think he must have known Nora. I mean, here's the thing. I actually I love them. Whatever. In the moment. Yeah, it's you know. He says, the appeal of You've Got Mail is as old as love and as new as the web. It stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as immensely lovable people whose purpose it is to display their lovability for two hours while we desperately yearn for them to solve their problems, fall into each other's arms, and get down to the old rumpy pumpy. That is what he wrote. Rumpy pumpy. Get down pumpy. to the old rumpy pumpy. I'm assuming he means like forkin'. So he goes on later. <laughs> Isn't that weird? He goes on later yes. to say there is the added complication that both Hanks and Ryan begin the movie with other partners. Parker Posey and Greg Kinnear, respectively, of course. The partners get dumped without much fuss. And then we're left with these two lonely single people who had who have neat jobs, but no one to rub toes with and who are trapped by fate in a situation where he is destroying her dream and she is turning him without knowing it is him. For consolation, perfect. The movie is sophisticated enough not to make the mega store into the villain. Say what you will, those giant stores are fun to spend time in. And there is a scene where Kathleen ventures anonymously into Joe's big store for the first time and looks around. She looks at the magazine racks and the cafe and all the books. And then there's the heartbreaking moment when she overhears a question in the children's section and she knows the answer. But of course, the clerk doesn't. And so she supplies the answer. But it makes her cry. And Joe overhears everything. (gasps) Whoa, that was his art. That was his. That's not the whole article, but that's the point that I thought was fun. Okay. And then we've got an article from The Atlantic by Megan Garber. And this one comes out 20 years after the release of the movie. And I'm picking and choosing what I want to read here. But she says, if you wanted to do a revisionist reading of You've Got Mail, you certainly could do that. You could focus on the skewed power dynamics between Kathleen and Joy, Joe, not just on the difference between the big box behomoth, behomoth and the pop, mom and pop shop, but also on the even bigger differential here. The fact that Joe knows who Kathleen is and the fact that the knowledge is not mutual. And he goes on to say a couple other things of like what you would change. But the article, or she, she, the article goes on to say, Joe is someone, the film implies, who needs to be saved by specifically Kathleen and her kindness. Do you ever feel like you've become the worst possible version of yourself? NY152 asks Shop Girl at a climactic moment of the movie. That a Pandora's box of all the secret hateful parts, your arrogance, your spite, your condensation has sprung open? 
The line is meant to suggest that Joe's jerkiness is not a fundamental element of his personality, but rather a tragic contingency. That if he were coupled with some better, someone better for him, maybe he'd be better himself. It's a strangely fitting attitude for this rom-com of 1998 to adopt for itself. It belies, after all, a great faith in humanity. That guy scraping up all the most expensive food at the party, which he takes all the caviar at one point, Fitting attitude, this is a fitting, uh, let's see, scraping all the, where am I at? The most expensive of the party, leaving none for anyone else. What a duck. He'll probably come to regret his selfishness. The man who, when the woman says, please leave, please leave, I beg you, decides instead to stay. He probably has his reasons. The hero who spends months lying to the woman he loves, hoping and assuming that she'll be grateful for the manipulation. He's just being romantic. And there you have it. But yep, yep. my take is I still love this movie. I know. I know. I said it. I just love that it has New York everywhere. I love my one of my favorite I things about it is the characters are, are, of course, very lovable. And Meg Ryan specifically in this movie, like her wacky yeah. charm is she kind of behaves like she's high on cold medicine or drunk <laughs> yeah. the entire movie. But like in a charming, like non-threatening, like, like she's going to do anything crazy. But like she's just kind of like falling all over herself yeah. all the time. And she talks in this adorably weird, strange kind of cadence. And um, you just kind of can't help but be like, I hope her store doesn't get shut down. And then her store gets shut down. It's so crazy and how Joe's fast that happens. And to her. I know. And Joe's lying to her. And you're just kind of like, what, what the actual F am I watching here? But also <laughs> Tom Hanks is so cute and so charming. So it works. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's definitely a movie that, just like a lot of rom com rom coms, the the love behavior is the behavior of a stalker. In this case, it's it's Tom, True. not Meg. In Sleepless in Seattle, it was Meg, not Tom. Um, and that's a common <laughs> theme that we see is like deception to like win someone over. I saw something crazy about Groundhog Day where it's like, what's Groundhog Day about? It's about a man who has to relive the same day over and over again so that he can, you know, find joy and then move on with his life. And they're like, or is it a movie about a man <clears throat> who has to relive every day over and again so that he can memorize every detail about a woman he's obsessed with so that he can trick her into thinking that he's the kind of man that's perfect for her and like knows oh everything that she likes. He can sketch her face from memory. So he makes like that ice snow sculpture out of her or whatever. And you're just like, oh, yeah, no, it's about a man stalking a woman. Until he knows enough about her to convince her that he's right for her. Crazy. And I feel like, and I feel like so many rom coms have that quality. Um, and this one is just so charmingly done that we're kind of like, will you just ignore the fact that he's lying to her? One, he's like ruined her life, and still thinks that he deserves to be with her. So, like, kind of a narcissist for sure. She must have a rent-controlled um, apartment, I'll be honest. Like, Yes, that's another thing about the Nora Ephron movies, as we've mentioned before, is the aesthetics are pleasing, man. And that is, that's half the experience. It's if true. I think what I'm looking at looks beautiful, I'm going to kind of be into it. We need to <laughs> And the New that. York, the New York, yeah, the New York that they portray and, you know, all the little places they go and the things they do, you're just like, dang, I want to live there. Mm -hmm. I want to do that. Um, but yeah, this is one of my favorites, even though I'm... The first to say it's incredibly highly problematic. Totally agree, but also I I love it too. Yeah, no. it's a good one. So, all right, should I tell you? Yes, my I can't wait. All right. So, of course, immediately I'm 
I'm drawn to the idea that this is another catfishing story. This is somebody, especially, I mean, it, it doesn't start out that way, but it turns into it once he knows who she is and she doesn't know who he is and he continues to lie to her. So he pretends to be someone he's not when he knows that like he's the a-hole that she's complaining about to him online. Okay. So it's a, it's a catfishing story. Oh, yeah. So I obviously thought, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to look in that direction. Um, for funsies, I looked to see if there ever had been a rooftop killer. That's not a real story. Um, okay. And then I also was like, was there ever like some kind of scandal at Barnes and Nobles, you know, which is basically what Fox books and I didn't find anything there either other than they did go out of business. So I guess they got theirs, you know, uh, for the most part. I think a lot of Barnes and Nobles ended up shuttering. There's after, one like, where the I Kindle. live. No, they don't. They didn't completely go out of business. They aren't Toys R Us or anything like that. But, you know, with things like Amazon and like electronic books and stuff like that, people just didn't need so many giant discount bookstores but ultimately i kept coming back to the fact von that this is a story about catfishing and one of our listeners and besties ashley a couple of months ago not even yeah a couple it's for february it was like in december mentioned this podcast called sweet bobby and i had asked if we'd ever listened to it and so i gave it a listen and it is perhaps the most unbelievable insane true story of, of a catfishing uh, scenario that is it's unimaginable, but it's real and it happened. And I thought, okay, I keep coming back to catfishing. I've been listening to this podcast. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to tell you guys the story of Sweet Bobby. Now, this is a six-part, like, present-day investigative podcast that was uh, released in December of 2021. Um, it's a it's called Sweet Bobby. It's a podcast from the Tortoise Media, which is, um, I think, a British company, and it's hosted by Alexi Mostros. I've done my best to try to, like, scale it down to a rom-crime episode's worth <laughs> yeah. of information, but I could not recommend it more. It is <clears throat> fascinating and just, like, holy shit, and the reveals are great, and the the storytelling in it is so good. So I'm going to share with you the story of Sweet Bobby. This is a story that is taking place in present day, but starts in 2010. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Vanya, maybe you could edit that out. <clears throat> Got a little frog in my throat. Um, and our main uh, player is a young 30-year-old woman named Kirat Asi. She is a, uh, she works in event planning. She also hosts a radio show on the Desi Radio Network. She's got a great, um, fun, you know, she's 30. She's having fun. She's living life. She's got wonderful friends. Um, and in November of uh, 2010, she receives a Facebook message from a man named Bobby. And it wasn't a message that she was expecting, but it wasn't an altogether unusual message at either. So Kirat had a second cousin named Simran, who was 10 years younger than her. And Simran had a boyfriend named JJ. And when Simran and JJ broke up, JJ reached out to uh, Kirat on Facebook for like advice on how to win her cousin Simran back. And they kind of developed this sort of like brother, sisterly, like camaraderie as she tried to tell him ways that he could try to get Simran back. And then suddenly in August of 2010, JJ dies from a severe allergic reaction. So when Bobby, who is JJ's older brother, 
<clears throat> reaches out to Kirat on Facebook. It makes it makes sense to her. She, you know, they know people in common. Um, she had never met Bobby before, but she'd heard of him. They were both part of the same community. They were both part of the Sikh community, which in the UK is extremely close knit. Um, she could see from his profile that they had been to the same events and they had several mutual friends in common, including some of her family members, uh, like Simran. Um, sorry, I've lost my place. So she instinctively trusts this person. They're from the same community. They know the same people. They've been to the same things. Why would she believe that he would be anything but who he says he is? Um, at this point, Bobby, a handsome cardiologist, a few years younger than her, um, just they traded a few messages about his brother. But over time, the conversation kind of shifted and things in Bobby's life weren't going well. And he began to confide in Kirat. So they began messaging more and more frequently and their friendship became closer. Kirat learned that Bobby and his wife were expecting a baby and he was really excited about becoming a dad. But his relationship with his wife was strained and over the next few months, his family life kind of imploded. He and his wife separated. He was fighting with his family a lot because his wife was like, what do you mean you're separating from your pregnant wife? And so things weren't going well for him. And he's kind of reaching out to Kirat to like talk about all of this and work it all out. And so because he's opening up to her, she starts to open up to him. She tells him about her on again, off again, boyfriend who's being kind of a jerk. And, um, their friendship just kind of gets a little bit deeper. Now, Kirat's best friend, a woman named Javi, starts hearing a little bit more and more in their conversations about this Bobby, and she became concerned because in Javi's eyes, and I just love Javi. I love, like, her attitude toward this whole thing. She's like, Bobby is a mess. He just left his pregnant wife. Is that really something that you should be, like, bringing into your life? <laughs> like, somebody that's like, I can't even get my shit together enough to stay with my wife who's expecting my child. Um... But Javi also knew the kind of person that Kirat was, which is um, she was somebody that if 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 someone said they needed her or basically implied that they needed her, she would always be there for them 100 percent, even if it was somebody that she never physically met. And Javi was aware that this made her friend vulnerable. Then in the spring of 2011, about five months after she and Bobby started talking, she was out at a club in Brighton. It was like a Hawaiian themed club called Lolo's. For Javi's hen party, which is what they call a bachelorette party in the UK. Yeah. And the girls were having a blast. They were dancing, singing along to all the songs. And then at around 1.30 in the morning, a man walked past Kirat and her group of girlfriends. And it was Bobby. And he was with a friend. The two guys kind of headed to the upstairs area of the bar. And um, Kirat said, oh, my God, it's Bobby. I'm going to go say hello. So she gets up and she follows the guys. She calls out his name. Bobby kind of turns around. He says, yes. And uh, in her description of this moment, he wasn't unfriendly or friendly, just kind of like, yes, like, I'm, that's my name. How can I help you? Um, but he did acknowledge her. And the club at this point, it's loud. There's lots of loud music, tons of people. It's really um, crowded. So she's trying to explain who she is. She's like, it's me from Facebook. Like, we talk all the time. And he's just kind of looking at her confused. And he's like, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, and to Kirat, Bobby did seem like he might be a little drunk and she wasn't trying to embarrass him in front of his friend or anything. So she was like, you know what? I'm just I'm not going to be like a jerk and be like, hey, we talk all the time on Facebook. But she should have done that. She should yeah. have done that. Um, so she was like, no, no worries. And she goes back to her friends. Uh, and after that night, Bobby distanced himself from Kirat. He ended up moving to Australia. He got engaged to 
someone else. What? And Kirat, uh, Kirat was actually invited to his wedding, but she couldn't make it. But she did. She was able to see photos of it um, on Facebook. And meanwhile, she's just going about living her life. She ended up getting a job organizing events at St. Mary's University in London. She worked um, on the London Olympics that took place in 2012. And then... In November of 2013, two years after the night that she'd seen Bobby in that nightclub, Lolo's, she was doing her radio show when something caught her eye. So one of the things she did on her radio show was take messages, like so people could reach out on Facebook with like a message, play this song for so-and-so, it's their birthday. And she noticed, because she had all the different screens up, that in her feed, somebody had posted that Bobby had been shot in Kenya. The post was accompanied by a photo of him in the hospital hooked up to a bunch of different machines. And Kirat was shocked. Over the next few weeks, she followed the posts that um, that said that he was in and out of. So the people, his friends, like posting about his situation, she followed them. It said he was in and out of a coma. And Kirat felt totally helpless. There was nothing she could do. But Bobby's friends did seem to keep her kind of in the loop via Facebook. Um, and so did Bobby's new wife. Her cousin, Simran who had dated Bobby's younger brother also happened to be in Kenya at the time. And so she would also let her know kind of what was going on with Bobby. Then Bobby wakes up and he sends Kirat a message on Facebook that says, I remember that you used to be my brother's friend. He had told me lots about you. Please help me out where you can. It feels as though I've lost a great relationship. Basically he said that he's lost his memory or at least parts of it. And he knows that they had a relationship but he doesn't remember the specifics of it or like what it meant a few weeks after Bobby wakes up his condition begins to worsen he sent Kirat a message saying that his head was like really hurting like he had this headache that wouldn't go away and he knew that something must be terribly wrong because even the morphine was not reducing the pain later that same day Bobby was placed back in a coma the next day while Kirat was at work she ends up getting food poisoning and has to go home early and it was then when she was you know, in between vomiting from food poisoning, she gets the news that Bobby died. She received this news on the Messenger app on Facebook. It had been sent to a group of 39 people. Uh, Kirat didn't know everyone in the group, but she knew some of them. Like, she had a couple cousins in the group. Um, And Kirat was devastated. Like, she didn't know him, like, all that well, but she did have kind of a relationship with him, and now he was dead. And, you know, that was so sad to her. Um, but you guys, it turns out Bobby wasn't dead. He was alive and he was now in witness protection. (laughs) So a few months after Bobby died, I put that in quotes, Kirat got a message from his widow, SC. Now in the podcast, they only use initials because of ongoing legal stuff. Um, so Kirat got a message from his widow, SC, telling her that there was something that she needed to know, but that she couldn't tell her and that she should reach out to her cousin, Simran. Shortly after Kirat gets this message, Simran calls her and tells her that, oh my God, you won't believe this. I just found out Bobby didn't actually die in that hospital in Kenya. They faked his death and moved him into witness protection, and he is now in a hospital recovering in New York City. Um, and Kirat's speechless, like, what? But even though Bobby is now alive and living in New York, Kirat's life isn't like super affected by this. She's still she's dating. She's going out with friends and she's working. And at this point in her life, Bobby is more like a, oh, my God, you won't believe this story that she would tell people. 
And Bobby's health did seem to be getting better. Um, but then he took another turn for the worse. He got really sick. There were blood clots, strokes. He was partially paralyzed and unable, and unable to speak properly. Bobby was angry and depressed, and at one point, he tried to kill himself. Kira knew all of these things because she was receiving messages from Bobby. Messages like, I don't deserve you guys, so please don't bother. I do miss you all, but I don't deserve it. She was also getting regular updates on his condition from his friends and family. Over the months, it started to become clear that Bobby responded the best to the words of support and encouragement from Kirat. So she started sending him like voice memos instead of written texts, kind of encouraging him to like stay strong. You're going to pull through. And, she, you know, she tried to keep his spirits up. And pretty soon, it, it, Kirat was kind of like Bobby's crutch. She was, she was the one that like when he started sneaking out of the hospital and getting wasted and getting into fights that was yelling at him, she was the one that was praying for him before he would go into a really risky surgery. And then one day, seven months after Bobby rose from the dead, he confessed that he was in love with Kirat. This was four years after that first message Bobby sent to her, and he was now revealing that he had had feelings for her for a long time. And then on Valentine's Day of 2015, Bobby and Kirat officially became a couple. Now, Kirat had some reservations about this. She had feelings for him, but they weren't really romantic. They were friends. Um, but she felt bad for him because basically all of his doctors were saying all the time that he, he was living on borrowed time. Every surgery was going to be his last. He wasn't going to make it. And she thought that the kind thing to do when he confessed his feelings was to like oh, say, no. okay, um, let's be in a relationship because one, she was never going to have to be physical with him. He lived in New York. She was in London and she did care about him. So she was like, I can be your girlfriend, you know, to make a dying man happy. If you right. Um, so on Valentine's Day, as I said, they became official. But the thing was that no matter what crisis emerged, no matter how severe his illness got, Bobby always managed to pull through. And as the months went by, Bobby actually wins Kirat over and she properly fell in love with him. Now, as we all know, long distance relationships are never easy. And their situation was clearly stranger than usual. He's in witness protection, so he can only give her limited details. Um, but in other ways, they had a very normal long distance relationship. They constantly texted back and forth. They would have these epic Skype calls where, you know, they'd get on the Skype, they'd talk, they'd make dinner together, they'd eventually fall asleep together, Wait, still on the they Skype. They were on, not on video chat, but Skype. No, no video. Oh, he oh. never turned his video on because he was self-conscious. You know, he's like hooked up to all the machines and stuff. And also, as we mentioned, his voice um, was kind of like a whisper because of the damaged his vocal cords. I'll, I'll get into that a little later. Um, so the overnight Skype calls were not only romantic, like they'd fall asleep listening to each other breathe, um, but it was also, you know, if something happened medically, an emergency, then she would hear it happen and she could call for help. Um, oh, and then I wrote here, one thing of note on these Skype calls, Bobby never turned his camera on. But still, it was romantic. They'd prepare a meal, watch their favorite television show. Kirat, at this point fully besotted with him, actually recorded an entire Harry Potter book for him so that he could listen to it since, you know, he's like constantly just laying in a hospital. Um, and they started talking about their future. They talked about everything, about what kind of house they would buy, what, kind, uh, what they would call their kids, and what their parents would say when they could finally tell them about their relationship. But mostly they talked about when Bobby would finally be able to come back to the UK where Kirat lives. Because, see, Bobby keeps promising 
to come home, back to London. He was going to transfer to a hospital to be closer to Kirat, and when he was well enough, he was going to start practicing cardiology again, but something always got in the way of his return. Kirat would get super excited. Like, he'd be like, this is the day I'm coming, and she would just be, like, over the moon. They were finally going to get to, like, be together in person, only to have him cancel at the last minute. Okay, so it's important. I'm going to pause the story real quick and talk a little bit about, we've talked about this before, about coercive control. Yes, yes. So coercive control is when someone uses threats or manipulation to isolate a victim or to take away their independence. Bobby was doing something very typical in a controlling relationship, creating barriers. In normal relationships, that intense kind of like love at first, those feelings when you first start seeing somebody, they evolve into something more mature, more grounded, more based in real knowing, loving, and understanding the person. Um, But when barriers are used to prevent that next step from ever happening... It can basically allow that love at first sight, constant dopamine relationship like sensation to last much, much longer. And it can keep your relationship in that same level of intensity that normally wanes or fades with time. So with every uh, passing month at this point, the amount of messages that she receives from Bobby increases. If she's not actually on her phone with him, she can hear the constant buzzing and dings of her phone messages from him when it's in her bag and know that Bobby's trying to get through. And although they Skyped, Bobby did mostly send text. His vocal cords were damaged during surgery, and when they did talk, Bobby could only whisper. So instead, he love-bombed her through text messages. So love-bombing is another form of coercive control. Um, In the beginning... They, meaning Bobby in the situation, bombard somebody with messages of affection and romance, which can be extremely persuasive. Then all of a sudden they pull back, which causes the other person to crave the return of that affection and kind of a willingness to do whatever needs to be done to like get them back to the place where they just love you so, so much. Um, and you can see Bobby using this kind of course of control, this love bombing, um, by sending so many messages, you know, professing his love, the promises to come see her, and then the last-minute disappointments. So by the end of 2015, remember the first message came in 2010. By the end of 2015, Bobby has become increasingly controlling. If Kirat doesn't immediately respond to his messages, he accused her of being with somebody else. Um, Every time Kirat didn't do exactly what he wanted her to do or she questioned some aspect of his story... Um, He would like totally freak out or if he didn't freak out, something would happen like he would have a stroke or a heart attack or suffer some other medical emergency. And oftentimes this would happen when Kirat was on the phone with him in a fight and then he would have like a stroke or a heart attack. So from 2015 to 2018, Bobby went from one health crisis to the next, suffering strokes and clots and various complications from all of his many surgeries. This was incredibly stressful for Kirat, knowing that Bobby was suffering and could die and that she wasn't able to be with him through all of it. Plus, this is the person she loves and is planning on spending her life with. So it's a pretty like intense place to exist, right? Like the man you love is constantly on the precipice of death. Um, and it's, an, it's also another way that Bobby is controlling her, right? So he's making it impossible for her several times. She tries to break it off with him, being like, I feel like you're not being honest with me. This story feels very strange and, you know, unbelievable and untrue. Um, and every time that she seemed to, like, consider ending the relationship, 
he'd have a medical emergency. So that's how he was using that to control her. Um, he'd suffer, as I mentioned, a heart attack or stroke while she was on the phone. And then um, her like headspace would switch from, I just feel like this isn't, there's something not right here to like, oh my God, he's, I've got to get him help. He's dying. And then it's kind of saved, you know, the relationship because then she'd be more concerned about how he is doing and the contact would never cease. It would never, she could never break contact because she was always concerned about how he was doing. Um, but it wasn't just the health crises and guilt trips causing Kirat distress. Bobby also at this point is exhibiting extremely jealous behavior, jealous of the people who called in on her radio shows or of things that she would post on Facebook. He was also jealous of her friends. So Kirat starts distancing herself from the people in her life. No, that's bad. He stopped. Oh, wait, she she's, I was going to say friends. she's distancing herself from him. No, oh. because he's jealous of time she spends with her friends. Oh. She stops hanging out with her friends. And her friends are incredibly confused. They don't understand why she seems fearful and so subservient to a person who doesn't even live in the same country as her. And this only, like, they're being like, I don't understand why you're worried about this guy. He doesn't know where you are, where you're friends. There's something wrong here. But this kind of conversation ends up actually pulling their friendships even further apart. And um, if Bobby disapproved of Kirat's behavior, he would also do things like threaten to cheat on her with one of his nurses. He had this nurse named Maria. And whenever he was mad at her, he'd be like, don't bother calling me tonight. I'm going to go for a walk with Maria and we'll see what happens. Like, just real asshole shit. So pretty soon, the stress of all of this sees Kirat taking a leave of absence from her job due to stress she loses so much weight that every single person who knows her is like what the actual f is happening to you like you look like you're dying and she's basically stopped talking to her friends and she quit her beloved radio show because he didn't like her (gasps) by April of 2016 Bobby had made at least six promises to come see her in the UK but the seventh promise seemed more legit. At this point, Kirat's family, they know about him. And so they're starting to ask questions about this boyfriend of over a year who's never come to visit. So when Bobby swore this time that he was coming, Kirat pulled out all the stops. She bought a bunch of new things for her apartment. She painted the walls and had her bathroom redone. She also took six weeks off of work unpaid so that she could be exclusively with him when he visited. And then a few days before Bobby was due to arrive, he picked a fight with her over the phone. And during the fight, he had a huge heart attack while she was on the phone with him. And then the line went Does dead. she understand science or, you know. Right. Kirat, Kirat panics because not, he's not just having a heart attack, but then it's like, beep, like the, you know, not beep, like the sound of a <laughs> hospital machine, but like the sound of a dial tone. Um, Kirat completely panics. She grabs a bag, throws some clothes in it, and just like rushes to the airport. And as she's stepping up to purchase a ticket to fly to New York City, her phone rings. And it's Bobby's cousin. His older cousin, which was this girl named KB. KB told Kirat that it was her fault that Bobby had had this heart attack. He was stressed out about coming to see her and his heart just couldn't handle it. And then all of the added pressure and she's the reason that he's so ill and that she needs to back off. Okay. So at this point, Vaughn, you and I'm assuming our listeners are wondering how on earth does Kirat not know that something is fucking crazy wrong here that she's being lied to. She's being catfished. Uh, She's never seen she never video chatted with Bobby. They've never met up in person. And so much of his story is straight up crazy. Like, I was dead, but actually I'm in witness protection. You know, the stuff that you're just like, you're lying to me, sir. But here's the thing that made this particular catfisher extremely sophisticated. 
Kira wasn't just talking to Bobby at any given time. She was also in constant communication with his ex-wife, SC, with a doctor who tended to him, and with the cousin I mentioned, KB. Um, They were constantly messaging and calling her on the phone as well. But none of these people existed. They were all the catfisher. And this catfisher also pulled stunts like he would have Kira, like they'd go online and look at the same website to shop for baby clothes for his little boy. And then he'd send her photos with him, with the little boy in the outfit that they had picked out. So that made it more real as well. Again, what happens here is somehow this catfisher got a hold of some photos and, you know, figured out where the clothes were from, like kind of directed her into picking them out, like reverse engineered the situation. Um, And how did they do that? Well, they, they did that. They were able to do that because it turns out Bobby is a real person with a real son, but he is not who Kirat is in a relationship with. In domestic abuse, this use of other people is called toxic triangulation, mm. making something seem real by having more than one person tell you it's true. Bobby, and now it's in air quotes, y'all, from here on out, Bobby will be in air quotes until I say otherwise, even took it a step further by directly communicating with Kirat's family. He spoke to her mom and her brother and her cousin Simran, and he would feed them snippets of information, which they would then share with Kirat. So anytime she started to doubt something, somebody that she genuinely trusted would tell her, no, that is what's happening. That's true. Unbeknownst to them, you know, that it's all lies. In March of 2018, um, I hear fireworks. I wonder if L.A. won the Super Bowl. Oh, probably. I just I just realized I'm like, I hear fireworks in March of 2018, three years into their relationship and eight years after the first message Bobby ever sent her on Facebook. He finally arrived in London. Kirat was ecstatic. The man that she loves and hopes to marry was finally in the same place as her and all her dreams were about to come true. But this is actually where the nightmare truly begins. Because the excuses don't, don't, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Staying at the Marriott in South Kensington, but he still won't see her. He tells her that he's not ready yet. He's not in a good health or emotional place to see her face to face. Kirat decides, F that, I've been waiting forever to see you, and shows up at the Marriott with like flowers for him and asks reception for his room. They're like, there's nobody by that name staying here, and she is horrified. She immediately calls her cousin Simran to be like, he does, he said he was staying here, he's not even here. Um... And while she's on the phone, she gets a message from Bobby being like, is that you in the lobby asking for me? Because I, uh, I told them that if anybody came asking not to let anyone know that I was staying here because, you know, witness protection, I have to keep my location still on the DL. Um, Bobby then tells Kirat that he's feeling overwhelmed by being back in the UK after so many years in witness protection. Then his grandmother happens to get really ill and he needs to go spend time with her. And then a more serious obstacle comes up. Bobby has cancer and that's the real reason he can't see her. Oh my God. Uh huh. Bobby's friends and family all confirm his story. They advise her not to push Bobby. Don't nag him. Give him space. But the pressure on Kirat is mounting because her family knows that he's in the UK and they want to meet him. So Kirat thinking she's covering for her boyfriend, starts lying to her family, telling them that she has she has met him. She's been taking care of him because he's very ill. Um, and the entire summer goes by with Bobby refusing to ever see her and, and Kirat telling her mom that she was going to go see him every day and then sitting in her car alone for hours. 
So at this point, all this gaslighting, all of this like confusion, this refusal after everything they've been through together to see her starts to kind of cause like a little bit of a, a spiral. She's starting to spiral out. She wants to come clean and tell her family the truth about what was happening. But at the same time, she doesn't want to tell them the truth because she knows if she does, they're going to be like, you need to end this relationship with this toxic motherfucker. And the only thing in her mind that she even has in life is Bobby. She has nothing else to show for her because she has been so consumed with this relationship. So having being honest about him feels like she's basically saying, I have nothing. I've ruined I've wasted my whole life. So she doesn't want to do that either. She wants to disappear. And at this point, Kirat is, is starting to really doubt everything Bobby is saying. And she knows that something is not legit. At one point, she's on the phone with Bobby, and she just knows he's not in London. It's too quiet. London is a loud, bustling, ah. kind of like New York City. And wherever he's calling her from, there's nothing going on in the background. Um, so she decides, whoa, what was that? Oh, we must have. They win. The, yes, they we won. won. Los Angeles Rams won 23 to okay, 20. Okay, I was like, they just, boom, that something in my ear. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back to the story. So she actually ends up hiring a private investigator. Good. She doesn't ask for like a bunch of like in-depth detail. What she really wants is just like his his last known address in the UK. Um, And she gets that from him. And it turns out that he's not in Kensington, the part of London she's in. He is in Brighton, 80 miles away. Kirat's not really sure what to do with this information. Bobby is clearly hiding something. But what? Finally, on June 9th of 2018, Kirat reached a breaking point. She'd told Bobby she was going shopping with her mom, and he got angry with her about it. Um, So her shopping trip no longer appealing. Kirat decides she's just going to get in her car and go for a drive to clear her head. And as she's driving, she realizes she's going somewhere specific. She's driving to the address that the PI gave her for Bobby. As she's driving, Bobby keeps calling and calling, and eventually she pulls over into a gas station to, like, call him back. But in this conversation, she holds something back, that she's on his way, or on his way, on her way to his house. Kirat finally pulls up outside Bobby's house at 7 p.m. that night. And now I'm going to tell you Bobby, the real Bobby, the real guy with the son who's never met Kirat and doesn't know anything about this. I'm going to tell you his account of what happened when she pulled up outside of his house so Bobby and his wife were upstairs putting their son to sleep when the doorbell rang you know you know how hard it is to put kids to sleep so it takes him a few minutes and finally he's like I'll go down and see who it is see who's there he opens the door and he sees a woman now walking away from his home as she hears the door open she turns around locks eyes with him and all Bobby sees is rage and a lot of aggression. And this woman he doesn't know starts walking towards him, shouting, how dare you? How could you? Eight years, eight years. And he's thinking like, whoa, lady, who are you? What do you want? I have never seen you before. And he's thinking maybe this is like somebody who's mentally ill, who needs help. Uh, Bobby also is often confused for his brother. So he says to the woman, maybe you're thinking of my brother, Jay. Um, We get confused a lot. And then he noticed that the woman looked confused by this statement and said, no, you are. And then she said his full name and Bobby began to feel scared. She was Mm -hmm. yelling at him, asking him why he was being like this. And then Bobby's wife came downstairs. Now, from Kirat's perspective, when she saw who she thought was Bobby's ex-wife, S.C., come outside, 
she figured this is why he's pretending not to know me. He's live he's leading a double life and his wife doesn't know about me. So he's pretending he doesn't know about me. And that's what's going on. So Kirat pulls out her phone and she thrusts it at him. And it's a picture. And he looks at it and he's like, that's me. But he looks closer at the contact information and he says, but that is not my phone number. He then tells Kirat, um, or sorry, Kirat then says that he's lying. She gives him her phone um, number and she's like, call me from your phone. Like, here's my number. Call me. He calls her and a number pops up that she does not have in her contacts with no photo attached. Um, and so she, he's like, see, it's not me. And then after they hang up that call, her phone starts to ring again and whose face should pop up. But her boyfriend, Bobby, calling from the usual number. And this is when the real Bobby is like, see, you must know it's not me. I'm standing right here. I'm not calling you. It's not me. But so completely like, you know. Brainwashed. Just like brainwashed and confused and horribly upset. She thinks this must be Bobby's wife went inside and got his other phone and is just fucking with her because she's like part of this scam. Um. And so then she starts screaming at him. She's like, I'm she says, I'm going to call Simran. And Bobby is like, wait, Simran? Because he knew a Simran. There was a girl that dated his brother several years earlier. And he says, do you mean Simran Bogle by any chance? And she's like, yes, I'm calling Simran. And he's like, well, I'd like to speak to her as well. So they get Simran on the phone and Kirat explains that she's at Bobby's house and he's denying everything that's gone on between the two of them. And then Bobby's like, may I please speak to her? And he says, to Simran on the phone like who is this woman and why does she know everything about me and what the hell is going on Simran says Kirat's my cousin she's confused and uh, I'll try to figure out what exactly is happening here Uh, Bobby hands the phone back to Kirat seeing Bobby on the phone with her cousin clearly knowing her cements in Kirat's mind that Bobby is lying to her in this moment like how are you Uh talking to her if you aren't the guy I've been seeing for the last three years Um, Simran then kind of Gets Kirat to calm down by telling her, don't worry. This is all because his wife is there and he's just trying to cover his ass. And uh, he loves you. I know. He, he tells me all the time. And Simran basically reinforces the fact that Kirat is right what? about what's happening. Because why else would he have spoken to her? So Kirat now is completely distraught. She sits down on their front yard. She's crying hysterically. Uh, Bobby's wife is like trying to comfort her, but at the same time being like, we're going to need you to leave. But also, are you OK? But we're going to need you to right, leave. Right, because they're a part of the Sikh community. It's yeah, like so a, it's, a, it's, it's a tight-knit community. Tight. Um, you know, like friends of friends type situation. Um, so Kira finally gets back in her car and she starts to drive home. And she is crying so hard she can barely see. She calls Simran again on the phone. She's crying and screaming, and Simran's trying to calm her down, being like, it's okay. This is just because you, you you caught him with his wife. Just relax. Like, you're not crazy. Relax. So now I want you guys who've been listening to this absolutely batshit crazy story that you're like, how could you not know something was wrong? There's no possible way not to know that. But imagine that you have spent your entire 30s in a friendship that turned into a relationship, and after years of difficulties and broken promises, and when it all seemed finally to to be working out you catch your partner in a huge lie and an entire decade of your life now seems to have been for nothing that and sucks. this this is the point that Kirat finds herself at now back at Bobby's house once Kirat's left he's like um I think we should call the cops because a strange woman just showed up at our house screaming at us and knowing way too much about us including the name of our child um and they didn't know if she was dangerous so they call and file for a police sure. report Similarly, Kirat feels like she's been done so wrong that she's like, I'm going to the police too. So she goes to her local uh, 
police and she tells them what happens and she brings her cousin Simran with her because she'd been on the phone the whole time so she's a witness to the, of what, to what happened. And throughout all of this, Simran continues to tell Kira that it was is just Bobby's wife making him act this way. Um, but that night, lying in bed, Kira knew that her life was changed forever. She just didn't know that there was one more gigantic bomb about to blow up everything else even more than it already was. And that bomb would go off the following day. On June 11th of 2018, Simran was supposed to come over and work from Kirat's place on Monday morning. But she was really late and Kirat's obviously like devastated and she's like, where is she? She said she'd work from my apartment so she could comfort me. Um, And then Kirat sees her car pull up outside, but Simran doesn't get out of the car right away. And then Kirat senses something's wrong. She sees Simran and her brother like having a very like visible, like handsy argument in the front seat of their car. So Kirat comes downstairs and goes outside. Uh, Simran was supposed to be coming over to work. So Kirat was surprised to see her wearing like exercise gear with none of her work stuff. Um, And Kirat's like, is everything okay? What's going on? Now, the day before, after they'd gone to the police uh, together, because they went together, Kirat had apologized profusely to Simran, saying, like, I'm so sorry that somehow you got mixed up and dragged into all of this. But then Simran told Kirat that she hadn't been extremely, she hadn't been entirely truthful. Because Simran had been in New York in 2017 and had told Kirat that she had gone and seen Bobby. But now she said that that never actually happened, that Bobby had just told her to say that she'd seen him, because otherwise she'd worry. So she'd lied about actually seeing him. And this, of course, made Kirat angry. And she's like, why wouldn't you tell me that? Because, like, why wouldn't you tell me that? So when Simran gets out of her car, she comes to the door and stands in the doorway. Kirat's like, are you coming in? And Simran said that she didn't think she should. She told Kirat she needed to tell her something. And Kirat's like, what? And Simran then said, it was all me. <gasps> Kirat's confused. And she's like, what do you mean? And Simran calmly says again, it was me. I was Bobby. Bobby is me. Karat still can't really grasp what her cousin is telling her. And Simran's like, I was late because I told my parents about what I'd done. And then Karat's like, wait, what are you talking about? And she's like, what about this person and this person and this person and this person? And Simran's like, that was all me. <gasps> Kirat, now hysterical, calls her best friend Javi, who happened to live just down the street, in complete hysterics. When Javi arrives, she finds Kirat like crying inconsolably on the floor while a girl that she didn't recognize is standing kind of like stone faced in the same room. And Kirat is screaming, why, why did you do this? You know, crying at her. You, you've stolen 10 years of my life. Why didn't you just stop it? I tried to end this relationship so many times. You could have just stopped it. You could have you could have made all this end. Like, what did I do to you? Why would you do this to me? But she said nothing. And the one thing that really stuck out to both Javi and Kirat was Simran's lack of anything in this moment. Her voice was flat. She showed no remorse. She gave basically just a statement of facts. Like, I, I was that person. I was that person. I did this. But with no sense of emotion. And not one time when she confessed to doing all this did she say she was sorry. Weird. And then Kirat was like, so who have I been falling asleep with on the phone all of these years? Simran pauses and then replies, me. And that's when Kirat runs to the bathroom and begins to vomit. Mm. Now, when people first started hearing about this story, a lot of experts were really confused because Simran does not fit the profile of a catfisher, right? She's not an old man pretending to be like a young hot man or yeah. a young lady. Um, she's a relative of her. She's a, ooh, she's a relative 
like a cousin of, right? of her victim. Yeah, it's her cousin. So that's not normal. People don't usually catfish their family members. And in her real life, she's this like really super successful businesswoman, not like some weirdo hiding in the dark on a computer pretending to be somebody else. So after the shock finally like wears off, Kirat goes to the police with her story. Um, but seeing that it's, this is like a very complicated, as you can tell from my telling of it, it's a decade long con and the cops couldn't really wrap their heads around what Kirat was alleging Simran had done to her. They took a statement and they interviewed her for a whopping 20 minutes. And imagine trying to tell this story y'all in 20 minutes. No. It cannot be done, as you can tell, as I have clearly gone over 20 minutes. Um the police even suggest at one point that Kirat might be dealing with like some mental health problems and like maybe she get some help. And after all, catfishing isn't technically against the law. But Simran's lie had cost Kirat her job, her freaking 30s. In her yeah. mind, it cost her her chance to ever have a family because now she's 40 years old and she thought she at this whole time was in a relationship with the man she was going to have this life with. And she's like, how can there not be a crime here? Simran, meanwhile, is living her best life, highly successful and recently engaged. How is this fair? Is the question that Kirat keeps asking. Right. And the, the most pressing question once Sweet Bobby's identity is revealed on the podcast is why? Like, what motivated Simran to spend 10 years of her life, basically her 20s, lying to her cousin and close friend? And we may never know the answer. Um, in a civil case brought against Simran by Kirat, Simran um, did end up having to pay her like a small amount of money for what she did and she was required to write a letter of apology but Simran's lawyers only agreed to that stipulation if the, le the letter could be private meaning that she could not legally share the contents of this apology with anyone but herself and a select few of people that were like listed on the legal document so we'll never know what she told Kirat um, we know from Kirat's reaction on the podcast to the letter that it didn't help her it didn't help heal her pain or explain why she had been victimized um, the close-knit Sikh community, uh, both women exist within, including both their own families, are all still wildly uncomfortable by this whole story, and they prefer that Kirat just move on. But Kirat is tired of being victimized, and she has been working with lawyers to overturn the um, police department's decision uh, that they were correct in saying no crime had been committed. So basically, the police were like, we're dropping the case because no crime exists here, and she was like, that is not, that can't be right. She's, uh, she gets lawyers involved arguing that Kirat was the victim of coercive control by Simran, of emotional abuse, yes. of like loss of, you know, income because of having, you know, losing her job. Um, but they can't seem to find like a legal leg to stand on. So eventually, um, Kirat reaches out to the IOPC, which is an organization that investigates the police. Like it's their job to come in and be like, did the police do the right thing here? They, uh, she wrote them a letter asking them to look into her case. And then she also had her relatively like well-known lawyer sign it because she thought maybe they'll take me seriously. And they, the IOPC found that the police had not properly considered the evidence in her case, which means that the Hounsville police might, now again, this is a big might, but they might have to reconsider their decision to drop the criminal case against Simran. And at this point, nothing has been resolved. As I mentioned, this came out in December of 2021 and it was like actively happening. But Kirat is hopeful that police will take her case more seriously the second time around and that Simran will be brought to justice for the crimes she committed against her. The popularity of the podcast, Sweet Baby, which again, I could not oh, recommend more. And it goes into so much more detail than I was able to squeeze into this episode. Uh, check it out. It's really compelling. Um, that should help her case quite a bit. Like she's got a lot of um, 
goodwill coming her way. And Kira sympathy. Does. People are like, that's Yeah, they're like, this is this should be against the law. If it's not, we should change that. Um, and as of now, Kirat is just trying to get on with her life. She went back to doing her radio show. Oh, and good. she's received a ton of support since the podcast came out. She's also heard from so many other victims of catfishing, domestic abuse, and coercive control. And she is proud to be shedding light on an issue that is pervasive in today's mostly online world. And that is that the is story true. of Sweet Bobby. Wow. Holy shnikey. That is amazing. Oh, my God. Crazy, right? Yes. I just remember listening to the podcast. And it's the cool thing about it is the reveal is done. Like, the podcast is only halfway through when you find out who it is. And that's why I say <sighs> still check it out. But the I just remember being like, wait, what? Her female cousin did this to her? Like, her friend cousin that Who's she's like been... Who's, like, 10 years younger than her? Yeah. Like, what the actual fuck is going on here? And it's, you know, it's fascinating and maddening that... The journalist who created the podcast goes out of his way to try to get Simran to talk to him to be like, we want to tell your side, too. Like, we're not trying to just right. tell Kirat's side. And she only will go through lawyers. And basically, she says, this is a family matter that was set, like settled several years ago. and We have no further comment. You know, and that's all she'll ever do. But so I just thought, OK, I got a movie that I can tie catfishing to. So I got to share. This I love it. Crazy catfish story. And shall we end with your poem? Oh, yes. Hold on. Let me look for it. Let's see. I'm I'm less I'm way more relaxed now. It's called Kid for Sale. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kid for Sale. Kid for Sale. Kid for Sale. <laughs> a four year old tantrum is different than a three year old is different than a two. The human is emerging. It breaks the eardrums. It quakes mama's soul. It takes the last straw. The last Damn straw. And it makes the days move like someone who doesn't know how to drive a goddamn stick shift. Huh? I'm at a loss. Lines are drawn across. And I'm sad, exhausted. Sad and exhausted mixed. Mm-hmm. I'm without a plan anymore. My dreams for this day are damned. Just gonna stay inside and hide. He's a monster. But he's mine. But then again... Kid for rent <laughs> for just the day. That's it. I wrote it at the bar. I love of the it. cheesecake factory. I, I mean, it. whatever. I was just like, oh my god, we've been having tantrums. It's just been a lot. It's like it's just been hard. And I love you know you love that little that little I love monster so much. with your oh my whole god. heart. But He's kid for rent, you know, like as long as the people are really vetted, like you want to rent my kid for a few hours, I will like, pay you very well. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Love you guys. Love you guys. We'll see you next Tuesday.